Welcome to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. Does paying attention to your breath have to this process of waking up we've been talking about, about rediscovering who we genuinely are? So we're going to be talking about that all week, of course. This is just an opportunity to introduce ourselves a little bit into the nature of the practice we're trying to explore together before we go into our evening activities and then to bed. So we all come to practice in some way because we want to change. We want to experience our life more fully. We want to be awestruck by the wonder of reality. We want to be free and open and loving. We want to be compassionate. We want to have meaningful relationships. We want to make wise choices. We want to be free from fear or anxiety or depression or addiction or anger or despair or self-doubt. I don't know why you came, but I'm pretty sure that you came in some way because there's something that you want to transform, something that you want to free, something that you want to open. And we do that precisely and paradoxically by letting go of the desire for change and opening to our experience just as it is. We achieve the change by in some ways dropping the need for change and being willing to be present with things just as they are. Some of my teachers, Sylvia Borstein, said, don't just do something, sit there. Right? Don't just sit there, do something. Why aren't you being productive? And part of what we're trying to learn here is how we can stop, how we can get off the the rat race, right? Remember who said it, but they said the problem with the rat race is even if you win it, you're still a rat, right? <laughs> right? And that when we're willing to stop and be present, when we're willing to open and accept, then in that openness and acceptance, transformation takes place. Now, why does that happen? When I say why does that happen, what I'm going to try to do is share with you my experience and many of ours experience about how and why that happens. I'm not asking you to believe anything I say, okay? This goes for now and the rest of the retreat. <laughs> Don't believe anything I say, but inquire about what I say and check it out in the context of your experience. Now, I'm gonna try that out, is that true? Does that seem true? Does that actually resonate with my actual experience? So we want to awaken. We wanna be open and loving, we wanna have joy, We want to be present with exactly who we are. We want the world to be vibrant and alive. You might even notice after five minutes when we do a longer practice tomorrow, notice when you open your eyes at the end of a practice. If you open your eyes and look around, often the world will just be a little bit more vibrant. It'll be shimmering a little bit, be a little more present, just from those few moments of cultivating that sense of awareness. We want to notice our own inherent divinity, our own divine nature, as the Hasidim teach. But usually we don't see it. Usually, or if not usually, often, we're cut off from experiencing the fullness of life. We get hidden behind these walls, which the Baal Shem Tov tells us, are the walls of illusion which hide us from the experience of the divine. 
which had us for our birthright, which is our own divine nature. And then rather than being aware and present and loving and compassionate and open and joyous, we're dead and blocked and anxious and judging and sad and tense and closed. We're suffering. Or we're anxious and overwhelmed and hyperstimulated in an overdrive. Whichever way we tend to go, we're not in that liberated place of openness. And then, wherever we are, we suppress it. With food and entertainment and distracting thoughts and fantasies and goals and seeking status and obsessive thoughts and sex and judgment. Or by constantly trying to make things better and fixing things. We think if we can only get X, if we can only get Y, the right partner, the right job, have a baby, succeed in my career, to be a pop star, I don't know, whatever you want to be, right? <laughs> to get a lot of money. If I could just do this and get this right, then it would all be okay. And you might have noticed it never worked, right? It never works. I was reflecting with Sam today. We met each other in the airport. And I was saying, wow, I can remember these thoughts having. I was like, if I could just start teaching at this place, oh, that would be amazing. And then I was teaching in that place, and I was like, oh, actually, still the suffering of life. <laughs> it was like, I remember being on retreat and thinking, oh, if I was just teaching retreats, that would be so amazing. Then everything would be cool, right? It's like, oh, wow, teaching retreats for a bunch of years, actually, still the suffering of life, right? It's amazing how none of these things that we think are going to make everything okay ever make everything okay. Nothing we can get can ever fill that sense of dissatisfaction. Can never do it. Can never do it. And the question that I want to try to answer in the next 10 minutes, right, briefly, and we're going to explore for the next week is, well, why? I mean, why not? Right? Because if it could, I would say, Zegazund, right? Go for it. Like, get it as whatever you can get, and that'll make everything okay. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for a few seconds. And the reason it doesn't work that way is that every experience we have has one of three tones to it. I'm going to say this, and for those of you who have, haven't heard this you know, many times before, you'll see that. For those of you who are here for the first time, you might say, yes, that's true, so what? Right? Everything we experience is either pleasant or unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Hopefully you're all with me so far, right? <laughs> Check it out in your own experience. I'll challenge you. You will not find an experience that is neither pleasant nor unpleasant, nor neither pleasant nor unpleasant, right? It's one of those three experiences. And when things are pleasant, we like them. We're interested in them. We want to hang on to them. We like that person. We want more of that person. We like that ice cream, we want more of that ice cream, right? We like that job, that experience, the experience of being respected, of being seen, whatever it is, we want more of it. And that's okay, and it's totally natural. The problem is that every pleasant experience we have, bar none, will pass. You have never had a pleasant experience in your life, check it out in your own experience, which has not passed. It's never happened, right? And you will never have a pleasant experience which will not pass. And even on a broader level, the pleasant things, the things which give meaning to your life, it doesn't matter what they are, they will all pass. Every single person who you love and care about will die, right? Not because you did anything wrong 
and not because they did anything wrong. That's just the nature of human experience, right? Every wonderful thing you accomplish, every great job you have, whatever it is, will pass. Because that's the nature of human experience. And so when we start to cling and grasp to the pleasant, we experience suffering and pain every time the pleasant moves on. And you can notice, you can check it out in your own experience. In the midst of pleasurable experiences and wonderful experiences and joyous experiences, you'll often notice if you pay attention, there's a subtle tension right in the midst of that experience. And the tension is, this is so nice, I hope it doesn't go away. Right? But it's going to go away. It's going to go away. And so we suffer. Then, of course, there are the unpleasant experiences. And unpleasant experiences, unsurprisingly, we don't want, right? Who wants to have unpleasant experiences? Not me, right? Nobody wants to have unpleasant experiences. So we reject them. We run away from them. We don't want to encounter them. Sometimes we literally run away from them. We see the person we don't like, we walk the other way, right? <laughs> we see the food we don't like, whatever we don't like, we just avoid that experience. Sometimes we run away more subtly, right? For instance, you're sitting right now, and a little discomfort arises, so you immediately change your posture. We're going to talk about working with pain, not because we're masochists, but because working with pain is a very valuable experience to teach us how to not to run away from the unpleasant. Maybe, you know, some experience will arise in meditation, your mind will subtly say something like, Go away, I'm meditating, right? It's supposed to be peaceful and pleasant and open. It's not supposed to be troublesome and unpleasant at the moment. Maybe we're in the midst of some unpleasantness and the mind automatically runs away to fantasy or in a normal life to, you know, conversation or TV or checking Facebook again or checking our email, right? The mind runs away whenever something challenging or unpleasant arises. And of course, it's totally understandable and it's totally normal. But the problem again is that there has never been a human life which avoided the unpleasant. It's never happened. I've never met such a human <coughs> being. I've never heard reported of such a human being. And I guarantee, never having met some of you before, that that has not been the case in your life. Right? Every single one of your lives has encountered the unpleasant. In minor, insignificant ways, and in significant ways, right? Because that's the nature of human life. And we push away and we resist the fact of the coming of the unpleasant. And the third aspect of our life is the things which are neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And mostly, you haven't noticed that at all, right? Because it's not interesting. It's not pleasant, it's not unpleasant. So who cares? It's boring. It's tepid. It doesn't call your attention. Try and think of somebody right now who you neither like nor dislike. It's pretty hard, isn't it? It's pretty hard to think of somebody you neither like nor dislike. Because as soon as you meet somebody, it's automatic. It's like pleasant, pleasant, liking, unpleasant, unpleasant, not liking, not liking, not liking, right? And if there isn't a liking, not liking, then it's like not noticing. Didn't even notice that person existed. 
was not part of my experience, right? Totally uninteresting to me. And the problem with that is that 90% of our experience is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And so it's not surprising sometimes that we feel a little bit cut off from life. Or as if life isn't fully aware and fully present and fully open and fully sparkling and fully vibrant if we're missing most of our experience. And so then we spend our lives desperately running after pleasure, desperately running away from pain, ignoring 90% of our experience, and then being surprised that our lives taste so flat. And our mistake, our fundamental mistake, the mistake that we're trying to undo in this practice, (laughs) the mistake which is why we're asking you to stop and pay attention to the breath, our fundamental mistake is that we are resisting the actual nature of life. And the nature of life is change. Things change. Unpleasant things arise and they pass. Pleasant things arise and they pass. The neither unpleasant nor pleasant arises and it passes. It's just the way life is. And it's quite hopeful actually, because that's the Rebbe says, how do we know that the very foundational nature of reality is change? We know it because there's a midrash that tells us, tshuva kadma lo'lam. Tshuva, repentance, return, transformation, is prior to the world. He says, what does that mean? He says, well, you can't have creation without change. Right? The very nature of creation, of making something new, of transformation, is founded on the capacity for change. So change must pre-exist the world. Change must be the very foundational nature of the world. And that's why the world is always, always changing. There's no permanence in the world. I went once to a website of a meditation retreat center I go to sometimes. And the page was blank. And it said, what you are looking for is no longer there. (laughs) Change is like this. Change is like this. We want things to be the way they're supposed to be, the way we expect them to be. We want something good to happen and to just to stay that way forever. We want the bad things, the boogeymen, to never come in the night. But the reality is that everything changes. And the problem is that we resist it. Which doesn't mean, I want to be very clear because I'm going to talk about this multiple times, it doesn't mean that we don't try to improve our lives or transform the world. Of course we do. That's why we're here. Right? We're here to become more compassionate and open and loving and seekers of justice and truth. That's why we're here. The question is how we do that. The question is in the moment, in the moment of encountering the reality of this moment, whatever that reality is, do we push that reality away or do we embrace it and welcome it in? It's like the Baal Shem Tov says, he says, we have enemies which come to assail us. If we push them away, they just multiply. They just get bigger. Right? There's a wonderful Midrash. It says uh, in the plagues in Egypt that uh, they were, had the plague of frogs. Right? You know the plague of frogs. Maybe you remember the song, I Sung of the Child. Frogs here, frogs here. Frogs are jumping everywhere, right? You know, it's a great one. So, the plague of frogs, but in the Torah it says Sfardea. It says frog in the singular. Right? So the Midrash picks up on this. And it says, what happens? 
So this is a big frog came out of the Nile. One huge frog. And the Egyptians were like, ah, frog, right? So they took spears, they threw a spear at the frog, and this frog split into two. And they threw another spear, and it split into eight. And they threw another spear, right? And by factorials of two, all of a sudden, there were massive, massive plagues of frogs all over the land, right? And it was just their resistance. The only cause of their suffering, the cause of the plague, was the resistance. They could have said, a huge frog, how amazing, right? <laughs> Hop on over and say hi, right? <clears throat> and our training in this practice is just that training. When the big frog arrives, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, instead of throwing our spears at it, instead of pushing it away, can we say, welcome, come on in, have a seat. I'm excited to get to know you, right? When the most delicious cake in the world arrives, right? And our tendency is to say, mine. <laughs> sort of hide away with it in the corner. Can we say, how wonderful. What a joyous experience, a pleasure. Can I share it? Can I open it to the world? Our basic training and our practice here is a training of learning how, again and again, to just connect. To just see what is present without resistance and without clinging. And to, in that way, pull away the fog which often covers over our life. To allow the clear, bright presence of reality to shine forth. The Magid of Mezrich, one of my favorite lines of his, says, Klalad Varim. The general principle. Everything you see in here and everything that you encounter, everything comes to awaken him. Everything you encounter comes to awaken him. And that's our invitation and our task on this retreat and in life. Can we see everything which we encounter as an opportunity to awaken? It's not seeing everything we encounter as for the best. Right? Because it's not always for the best. Sometimes it's just hard. Right? Sometimes it's tragic. It's not all for the best. But it is all an opportunity to awaken. And it all depends on how we relate to it. It's all our choice in that moment. And we're training, we're training in how to choose to use that opportunity to awaken rather than to use that opportunity as a way to shut down. And if we do that, if we choose over and over again, which is just our practice, every time we return to the breath, every time we notice we've gotten lost, and we recommit to being present, every time something challenging arises, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, and we hold our seat, and we're present with whatever is there, we train in that capacity to choose to awaken, rather than to choose to shut down. And all awakening is, is choosing again, and again, and again, and again, and again, moment by moment by moment, to awaken. Tradition tells us, mitzvah goreret mitzvah, v'avera goreret avera. Right? A mitzvah pulls in its wake another mitzvah, and avera, a misstep, sin, pulls in its wake another misstep. Every time we reestablish mindfulness, it's 
pulls in its wake another moment of mindfulness. Every time we lose control, it pulls in its wake another moment of losing our center. And so we're just training and reestablishing and reestablishing and reestablishing that mindfulness. So that's our invitation for you for this week, is to choose to wake up, to choose to be present, to choose to be courageously welcoming with whatever arises. And in doing so, to choose to incline the mind over and over again to a place of compassion, to openness, to presence, and to awareness. You've been listening to the Or Halev podcast with Rabbi James Jacobson Mazels. For more information about Or Halev and how to stay up to date with our podcasts, visit the website at orhalev.org.